Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is part two of episode 41 in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, To Jerusalem, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 36. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, the centerpiece of this chapter is Paul's journey to Jerusalem. And uh, once he gets there, um, a riot that is started by his Jewish opponents. Um, Before that, we're going to see Paul thoroughly warned by Agabus the prophet through the Holy Spirit of the kind of distress that was going to face him, that he would lose his freedom that he would be bound. And for the rest of the book, indeed, the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is bound. He's not free to go. And so uh, this chapter shows how the Holy Spirit warned him ahead of time what was going to happen, but also his determination to go to Jerusalem. And then his reception there among the church when he still had his freedom, the church welcoming him. And then some steps he took as best he could to maintain unity with Jewish believers and also an attempt to share the gospel with unbelieving Jewish people. And then a great misunderstanding that led to the riot and led to Paul's arrest. So there's a lot to cover today. Well, let me go ahead and read Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 36. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, 
You see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed crying out, Away with him. What does the church's reaction to Agabus's prediction teach us about them? And what does Paul's response to their outpouring of emotion teach us about Paul's character and sense of mission? All right. So what, what Agabus does is he takes his own belt and ties uh, – or he took Paul's belt. Sorry. He took Paul's belt symbolically and tied his own hands and feet with it. I got exactly opposite. So he ties his own hands and feet with it and says this is a display or a demonstration. So this reminds me of Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Prophets do interesting things, <laughs> symbolic things. No one more than Ezekiel. Yeah. Ezekiel had to do lots of strange stuff. Well, Agabus is doing this. It's this isn't symbolic, but he's saying you're going to lose your freedom. The Holy Spirit's saying that. Well, when they heard it, they were pleading and begging and mm. weeping and, and like Paul says, breaking my heart, doing everything they could to get Paul not mm. to go because they didn't want Paul to be incarcerated. But Paul's already said, compelled by the Spirit. So here is Paul's own sense of mission versus their own sense of of Paul's safety. And Paul pits his own sense of certitude of mission through the Holy Spirit over against their desire to keep him free and to keep him alive. And so they're weeping and breaking his heart. And Paul says, look, stop it. Stop it. I am hereby warned. I do believe I'm going to be incarcerated, but I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so uh, once Paul said that, just like the earlier ones in this chapter, um, they gave up and then said, okay, the Lord's will be done. 
In the following verses, again, we get this sense of the movement of Paul through the region, uh, which brings us then ultimately to Jerusalem. How was Paul greeted by the church when he finally arrived at Jerusalem? Well, he, he's greeted warmly there. Um, you know, and by the way, we don't have to say much about it. We got the home of Manasin here mentioned and all that. You got a sense of the hospitality back then. Hmm. People took each other in. They they just hung out together. They spent time. They weren't hotels. And but that, it was just warm times of fellowship and it's pretty sweet. But once he arrives at Jerusalem, the brothers there, um, you got the pillars of the church he mentions in Galatians chapter two. So you got um Jane, uh, Peter, James, um, and John, maybe. But James is the leader, interestingly, not Peter. Um, and so James is the, is the leader. And so they, they, they welcome them. They greet them warmly. Um, and then Paul, um, you know, reports everything that God had reported in detail, all of the aspects of his missionary journeys through the Gentile world. And they're all very excited about it. Hmm. Having heard this report, um, we get this insight into the life of the early church. James, as you mentioned, being one of the leaders along with the elders who are with him, this report given by Paul about all that God had done, they are glad at this mm -hmm. report. What advice did James and the elders give Paul concerning his reputation among the Jews of Jerusalem? Okay, so what we're dealing with here is we're to, dealing with, with at least two different categories of Jews, all right? Well, we'll just keep it simple. Believing Jews and unbelieving Jews. So that's kind of the rest of the chapter. We got Paul dealing with Christian Jews, mm -hmm. like himself, like James, etc., who are very zealous about the law. They're strict observers of the law. Maybe they were Pharisees, something like that. But they believe that Jesus is the Christ. We can't think that post-Acts 15 that they're still Judaizers, that would be a false gospel. So these are genuine believers of Christ, but they're pretty serious about their their Jewish heritage. Mm. And so he's going to deal with them, and, and James and the others are going to give some advice about unity there. And Paul doesn't fight it at all. He fits into what they tell him to do. Then part two, the rest of the chapter, is Paul dealing with unbelieving Jews, and they want to kill him straight out. But behind both of the groups are some questions about Paul and what he taught and his relationship with the Mosaic law. So what uh, James says about the believing Jews is he says, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. That's wonderful, isn't it? These, these people are all going to be in heaven. They're in heaven now, all right? And, and we're going to meet them. And these are, these are Jewish people who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Thousands of Jews have believed. And, he says, all of them are zealous for the law. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. It's questionable. It's interesting. Um, zealous for the heritage, their Jewish heritage. Um, if they're zealous for the ceremonial law, you're going to run into difficulties there for Jesus has declared all foods clean, but they're holding to, to kosher, you know, et cetera. Paul would consider them weak in their faith in that they haven't come on over into the full dietary freedom that Jesus declared. Mm. Why wouldn't they eat whatever once Jesus declared all foods clean? But at any rate, they're zealous for the law, and that's fine. They're Jews. And Paul tells us very clearly how he behaves in different settings. To the Jews, he says, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I acted like someone under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He says it plainly. He says, look, I'm not under all that ceremonial law. It's been fulfilled. But it could be that they are weak, that they haven't come over into their full freedom yet. So they're still, still living basically the same day-to-day -day Jewish law-observing life. 
Paul wants to say, look, that's fine. But just understand if other Jews choose not to, they're not, they're not in any problem either. So I don't, he doesn't get into all that. He does that in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, many chapters of it. But here he's just listening and James says, look, these folks are zealous for the law. They're zealous for the dietary regulations. They're zealous for the rhythms of, of temple life. The temple's still standing. They're still going to the temple. At times of prayer, probably they're following a Jewish life. And they have been misinformed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, mm. telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their customs. That is flat out untrue. Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. So why would he say, I'm going to do that, but you ought to stop doing that? He doesn't say that. He, I think what he would say instead is, look, if you have a boy baby and you want to circumcise him, that's fine. But if you don't want to circumcise him, that's fine too, spiritually. You're at no advantage or disadvantage before God. Mm. Now, there might be an argument made for you to maintain Jewish heritage and Jewish traditions because it's your culture. That's fine. Just don't judge people who don't. Don't judge Jews even who don't. Mm. But it would be hard to mark people as Jews who don't circumcise their boy babies. So I don't believe Paul did this. I don't believe he told Jewish fathers not to circumcise their boy babies. I don't think he told them to stop following Moses altogether. Not at all. So that's false. And so what should we do? What are we going to do about these guys? They're going to be upset about you. They're going to hear that you come. There's no way we can hide it. So I'll tell you what. Here's something you can do that will kind of put out the fire. We've got these four men here who have taken a vow, all right? They've made a vow. Now, I don't know what this vow is, but I do know that earlier in Acts 18, Paul took a similar vow. These are additional spiritual things that people do. It'd be like just choosing to fast. We could do that. We're not making it normative to everybody. There's something I'm doing. Why are you doing it? Just I have my own reasons. Fine. Well, they had those kind of vows back then, and it seemed to have to do with hair. Maybe they let their hair grow to a certain length or to a certain certain point, like a Nazarite vow, you know, like Samson. Remember mm -hmm. how he was strong when his hair was long mm -hmm. and then his hair got shaved off and he was weak. So there's a sense of, of kind of, well, I'm going to let my hair grow and then at the right time, I'm going to shave it off and give it to God as, a, as, a, as an offering. So I think that's what it is. There's these rituals and I think there were sacrifices to be made with it, that, to offer sacrifices. Um, each, an offering would be made for them. Maybe not animal sacrifice. I'd have a hard time believing Baal would go in for that blood mm -hmm. sacrifice. That's done with Jesus. But there might be some kind of an offering made or something like that, like a some kind of a you know incense burned. I don't know what the offering was, but something would be offered to God. And there's money with all this. There's going to be a financial part of it. Why don't you pay for them? And then the Reports will get out and they will realize there's no truth to this and these reports and that you are living in obedience to the law. Now, stop right there. You and I talked on, on this for a while. Was Paul living in obedience to the law? Mm. Well, he says in, um, what is it, in, in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision uncircum means anything. What counts is keeping the law. Okay. What? All right, so that's got to be the two great commandments. Those are timeless and they'll go on into eternity. Into eternity, we are going to be loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We won't need to be commanded to do it. We'll be free from the law, but we'll be doing it. Hmm. So in, in one sense, Paul is living in accordance with the law. He is living in that law. In another sense, he's not. He's living, in, and this is in Galatians. He says, we're not under the law. And Peter, you aren't either. 
you, you've gone into the home of uncircumcised people and you've eaten unclean food, so to speak, because you were told by God to do it. You were told not to call anything unclean that God's made clean. Hmm. So no, I'm actually not living in obedience to those laws anymore. I am eating shellfish. I've developed a taste for lobster. I'm not saying that. Look, there's no evidence of that. But what he is saying is, mm -hmm. look, um, they will understand that you are not disrespecting our Jewish heritage. I think that's the best we can think of it here. Now, I don't know that James and his group fully understood Paul and his doctrine yet. I don't know that. I think there might, might have been some problems there. Yeah. But at any rate, Paul doesn't push back at all. He also, uh, the group from James, James and the group say, you know, also, you know about the whole Gentile believer things, that Acts 15 thing, and that they should, you know, abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, and from blood, and meat, and strangled animals, and sexual immorality, the big four, those things that were listed in the Jerusalem Council. That's still true. Nothing's changed. Paul didn't say a word. Hmm. He just does what, what they ask. The next day, Paul took the four men went with them, purified himself along with them, went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So that's it. That's Paul keeping the peace. That's Paul living out what he said he would do in 1 Corinthians 9. Fine, to be Jewish, I'll do these things. Hmm. It's worth it. What do we learn from his response uh, as far as what you just mentioned, right? The way that we approach these sorts of conflicts. Like you said, he doesn't push back, but what can we learn from the way Paul responds? Yeah, the real lessons are in, in Romans uh, 14 and in 1 Corinthians, that whole meat sacrifice to idols thing. Mm. Um, love limits liberty. Isn't that what we learned from 1 Corinthians? Love limits liberty. Paul's going to restrain himself. He's not even going to say anything right mm. now. Also with the teaching, there's a time and a place. This isn't it. Mm. I'll circle back on it later if I get a chance. I'll talk to you guys about meat. You know, meat's just meat. All right. And I'll give you all that stuff that those instructions I gave to the Corinthian believers. I believe the same thing here in Jerusalem, mm. but this isn't the time of the place. And I'm going to do what I need to do to maintain unity. I'll do the purification rituals. I have no problem with that, whatever I can do. And at the right time, I want to educate you more thoroughly on how you should think about the ceremonial laws of Moses. I think that's what I learned from it. In the final scene of the passages that we're looking at today, Paul's falsely accused and arrested by a Jewish mob. What ultimately leads to Paul's arrest in this chapter? It's okay. not the first time he's had run-ins with the crowds or with the authorities, but what ultimately leads to his arrest here? Okay, well, here, um, the time has come, and Paul is going, I think, to finish the finish the task, the the uh, the offering, the purification, all of that. Seven days are over, and he's there near the temple. And some Jews from Asia, so that's modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, where Paul had done much work. They recognized him. Uh, realized in this day and age, with photography, with the internet, and all that, people are famous. Famous people, you know their faces. Back then, it's like we're not so sure, you know, who the person is. That's why Judas had to betray Jesus, because like, which one is Jesus? Hmm. You know, and so we're not hundred percent sure which one he is. And so he's all the one I kiss is the man. You know, it's like so there weren't any likenesses of him. They didn't know what he looked like. Jesus probably looked like he had no form of beauty. He looked like everybody else. And so here they recognize Paul because Paul was a preacher. He was up front in front of people and they saw him and recognized him. And at that moment, they stirred up the whole crowd and seized Paul. So from that moment that he's seized through the end of the book, he's not free. 
Mm. He's bound, mm. the very thing that Agabus had predicted. Mm -hmm. And they're shouting, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place being the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and has defiled this holy place. Now understand, Romans would be executed if they went into the temple area. Pilate established that. Mm. And so did the tribunes that followed. Why? Just to keep the peace. The, the Jews are f religious freaks, religious fanatics. We just need peace around here. Fine, we'll stay away from their temple. So they put up signs and made it very clear that it was a capital offense for an uncircumcised, you know, a Gentile to come into the temple area. Hmm. Paul knew that. Paul's not going to do all these rituals and violate that law. He'd be foolish to do that even though there was nothing sacred about that ground anymore. Hmm. Once Jesus left the temple in Matthew 23 and on Matthew 24, the glory had gone. It was just another place. One, not one stone would be left on another. Jesus is the temple and all that sort of stuff. He, you know, But Paul's not making that point at all. They're not listening <laughs> to that, et cetera. And so he did not do that. He didn't bring Trophimus, the Ephesian, into the temple area, but they said he did. So here's the thing. Paul has to deal with explaining his difficult doctrines to Christians who don't quite get it yet. He also has to deal with slanderous things that are said about him, both by Christians and non-Christians, things that just aren't true. Hmm. And here we've got this issue. And here, Paul indirectly is the, is the cause of the third riot in the book of Acts. We had to look it up, but there's three of them. Three times, a crowd goes crazy and wants to kill Paul. We got Acts 17 in Thessalonica. We got, we got the riot at Ephesus where they're shouting for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, and now here in Jerusalem. And you know what's behind it? Demons. Hmm. Satan is behind it. I, I, Satan directly. I mean, is there any human being on earth at that time that Satan would have been more interested in stopping than the Apostle Paul? No. And so this... This rage, murderous rage, is coming from Satan, from demons, and they want to kill him. What role do the Romans play in this arrest? And why does Luke so frequently show Roman authorities acting kindly to Paul? Right. Part, in my opinion, in my opinion, part of the purpose of the book of Acts is a defense of Paul to Caesar and to the Roman authorities who are gonna finally decide his case. So Luke is to some degree at the human level, a lawyer explaining the whole story of who Paul is and why he's arrested and why he should be set free. Also, obviously it's true. The things that Luke wrote were true, but consistently it's, it's just not the Romans, it's not the Greeks, it's not the Gentiles starting these riots. It's always the Jewish accusers. Mm. And we're going to see that as it unfolds here. There are these Jewish accusers who want Paul dead, and there's Romans that are basically keeping them at arm's length. And that goes right to the end. So I think this is a defense. Um, it is a defense for the Apostle Paul. So um, we're going to see later in, in Acts 25, 27, how, um, you know, uh, Festus, who is the Roman in charge of his trial at that point, says, I think it's unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Seems like the Holy Spirit had that in mind as well through Luke. It's like, let's say the whole story here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Jesus. 
So the whole thing is Luke Acts. You want to know the whole story, read the Gospel of Luke. And then along comes Paul and his whole story, the three accounts of his conversion that are in there, and Paul's missionary journeys and all. That's why they've arrested him. They hate Jesus. That's why mm. it's happened. And so he hasn't done anything against Rome. He's no threat to the state. He is just a preacher of this gospel of Jesus. So I think that's that's why we go through these things. The Romans basically, literally save his life here. They, they would have ripped him limb from limb right there and then. They were a pack of wild dogs. And they're, they're going to kill him. They're dragging him from the temple. And they are, verse 31, they are trying to kill him. And the tribune comes with some soldiers and they immediately come in and save his life by arresting him. So Paul doesn't have any freedom, but they've got to figure out why does the crowd hate this guy so much? And that's where we're heading. What was the Roman commander trying to determine as he arrested Paul? So Paul's arrested, which saves him from the crowd, but the Roman commander is still interested in what's going on. What's he trying to discern here? Well, he's trying to figure out who this guy is and why the crowd hates him so much, why why there is an up, uproar. Um, so he uh, arrests him and he asks him who he was and what he had done. And in next, the next chapter... Um, you know, he's he's going to say, or actually, sorry, at the end of this chapter, not not in today's podcast, we'll do it next time. Um, he's surprised that Paul can speak Greek. He thinks he's just a Jewish man who can't speak Greek, just mm -hmm. Aramaic. And then he says, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? It's like, yeah, no, that's not, not me. me. <laughs> All right. So he doesn't know who he is. He mm -hmm. knows nothing about this guy. So that's the answer to your question. He asked him who he was and what he had done. And the crowd's answering and they're shouting and he knows he's not going to get any truth there. So he is pulling him out away from the crowd so he can basically find out what's going on. It's amazing. The crowd is so riled up that they have to essentially carry Paul yeah. out of this situation. Yeah. Andy, any final thoughts for us on these verses that we've looked at today? Yeah, I think the big picture here is the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, as Acts 1.8 says, that's the theme of the entire book. But again and again, we see the cost. We see the cost of evangelism and missions. It is a costly thing to share the gospel with lost people. It is a costly thing to travel to distant lands and to hostile places and share the gospel. It is, a, it is a costly thing to go into the teeth of an angry crowd and tell them that Christ is the Savior and that if they repent and believe, they'll be saved from their sins. Mm -hmm. These things are costly. The, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that so that just like Paul being warned ahead of time, that we're warned and that in our efforts to share the gospel, um, that our eyes are open and we're aware we're going to suffer, but the Holy Spirit is given. Power comes on us, not that we would not be afraid, but that we would not shrink back from delivering the message. We would not shrink back from proclaiming the gospel. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Not that we would not be like that, but that we would preach anyway and the Spirit's power would be on display in us. So from this point on, it's just one trial after another, one defense after another of Paul, plus the journey to Rome and the shipwreck and all that. We're going to see that. And I think the lessons are, it is a costly thing to be a witness for Jesus Christ. This has been part two of episode 41 in our Acts Bible Study podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time for episode 42, entitled, Paul's Address to the Murderous Mob in Jerusalem. 
where we'll discuss Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through chapter 22, verse 30. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.